Welcome to About Empathy, a podcast that focuses on patient and healthcare providers' experiences. Thanks for joining us for the second season of About Empathy. This season, we have engaging conversations with patients and informative discussions with healthcare providers. Each week, we will dive into a topic that we hope inspires you to have empathic interactions. I'm Dr. Giovanna Siriani, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Dr. Dori Sekracha, and I'm Dr. Irene Yang. We're physicians working in palliative care and psychosocial oncology at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto. Our clinical experiences have taught us that there's invaluable wisdom in the stories of the people we care for and work with. This podcast gives voice to both the patient and healthcare provider experience, while also reflecting on how we can learn from these stories to inform our practice. Jill Deacon is a best-selling author and award-winning broadcaster. In the last year, Jill learned she had a recurrence of breast cancer. Jill took a leave of absence from her time as the host of CBC's Here and Now to undergo treatment. She is with us today to talk about what it's been like for her to be in the public eye through her cancer treatment. Thank you for joining us today, oh, Jill. Oh, pleasure to be here. Anything that promotes empathy, I'm happy to support and be involved in. We're so, so. glad you're here. We wanted to start off by asking about what the difference has been in your approach to, to sharing and talking about your cancer diagnosis the first time around versus when you had a recurrence. Yeah, the first time I got cancer was in 2009. And at the time I was you know, working at home, researching and writing the book that would become you know, a year or so later. There's lead in your lipstick, Mm -hmm. which was all about chemicals in our everyday body care products and how they're linked to health issues like cancer. So it was sort of ironic in that respect, but it didn't impact anybody really outside my family. The publishers very patiently and kindly said, okay, we'll put the book on hold. And I went through my treatment fairly quietly. I ended up writing a totally different kind of writing about it afterwards, just kind of compulsively writing more personal stuff that became a memoir called Naked Imperfection, which made that story public, but after the fact. Then in 2018, when I was diagnosed for the second time, I was five years into being the host of a, you know, popular radio program. And I suddenly wasn't on the air and everybody was who's in their routine. Radio is such an intimate medium and people have relationships with their people on the radio. And suddenly there was somebody else in that chair and what was going on. So I was of the mind that you tell people why I'm not there and you don't have to cover anything up. There's no shame in having cancer. It sucks, um, but it's not anything to be sheepish about. So I said, sure, tell them. So it became very public right away. That was extraordinary in so many ways. There was such an overwhelming wave of support and kindness and love and reactions from people who I don't know, who listen to my voice in their afternoons, and who were supporting me, in spite of not even really having met me or knowing me. So it was incredibly uplifting and emotional to feel that feedback. It also added a dimension of expectation around what I was going through. Like there was a sense of how are you doing? What's happening next? When are you better? Which didn't exist before, as I said, outside the circle of my family and friends. So it was like 99% wonderful to have that support, but it was odd and just different to feel almost a sense of responsibility that I had to report my status or communicate my progress, you know, beyond the borders of my own (laughs) home. 
But that might have also been in my own mind. I felt I owed those lovely listeners who'd been so kind and supportive to me a sense of, yes, I am coming back. I'm doing better and, and so on. So it was different. It was different. Do you see downsides to it? It sounds like mostly you saw kind of upsides to it. But was there a downside to that being so public and maybe losing a bit of your anonymity in terms of sharing what you were going through? I feel like some days it's all you can think about and you need to talk about it. And some days you just don't want to think about it and want to talk about it. So that's not anybody's fault. It's just the way it is. As I say, it was probably mostly of my own making that I I felt an expectation to report or to be a certain way. You know, it also made me realize that there are parts of the cancer trajectory mm-hmm. I'm a little done with the word journey, so I'm avoiding that one. (laughs) Um, But the cancer trajectory or whatever has pretty recognizable chapters that we know about from even from popular culture. Everybody knows what chemotherapy is about. Most people know what radiation is about. We know what surgery is about. The stuff that comes after that and in between that, people don't know how to respond to. They don't understand it. Like, okay, you're finished chemo. You're not barfing, I don't need to bring you casseroles anymore, but you're not back at work. So what is that period? What's that look like? And where are you? And why don't you want to be your normal self anymore? Like there's that murky period. And we don't know what to make of that. And is there a normal self? Because when you go through something so large, do you in your mind think I'm going back to a normal self? Or is that and I don't really like the term, but people think of it in terms of is there a new flow to your life, you know, a new normal? Yeah. And if you are just learning that, how do you even answer that question? In their minds are going, but what is myself? I don't know what myself is yet. Yourself can't possibly be the same as it was before. Sometimes physically you're altered. Even if you get all your energy back and your spirits back and your mobility back and everything, you're a person who's been through something that you hadn't been through before it happened. So you can't possibly be that same old self. But it's hard to know who that new self is and what they, how they work. And you can't really know that if you've never been through it. Because someone who hasn't had cancer, they, they, no matter how kind and empathetic you are, I'm not sure you can always know that about something. So I think sometimes patients find it helpful when they're talking to other cancer patients, because they do find they get that part of it. Because when you're doing well, like even that whole new area of survivorship coming up, what does that mean? Living in the world being someone who's had cancer? Yeah, and everybody's narrative is going to be different. And there'll be points at which they intersect and points at which they very much differ. And what you need out of your support community is variable between one person and another. But yeah, it's hard to possibly understand where someone's at when you haven't gone through it. Can you give us a bit of an example? Because prior to your cancer diagnosis, you know, you were very well known for living a clean and a green life and how all of this has changed your outlook on that, whether it's reinforced it or that part of your life is a bit more downplayed now. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, that's what ended up the writing that I was doing sort of compulsively after my initial cancer in 2009 became about that sort of reconciling, wait a minute, I was cleaning my bathtub with baking soda and eating all organic food and kale smoothies and I got cancer, so what the... And also 
what does that mean about our ability to control anything? If you, I think a lot of people are drinking kale smoothies and eating <laughs> healthy whatever because it feels like an inoculation against disaster. You're sort of staving off, see, if I do all this, I'll be okay. And I took it even further thinking like, I'm not only going to make myself healthy, we're going to fix the planet, everybody. Mm -hmm. And so I really had a lot to grapple with after the what? What it came to is that I guess I would say I stick to a lot of the things that are just normal for me. I ride my bike whenever I can. I drive a hybrid car. I eat organic food. I support local. I still clean my bathtub with baking soda. Like I'm still doing those things because they work for me. And I believe in what I'm doing, but I don't feel the zeal anymore. I think I had a bit of a shakedown of my conviction that like, this is it. We can all work together and save the planet. I kind of think that's still true. I just don't necessarily feel like I am the leader anymore to do that. I just am maybe a little quieter about my lifestyle choices in that respect. Do you know what I mean? I still read headlines about all the plastic in the world and, you know, climate change. And, and I still believe that we all need to do things towards protecting the earth, but I don't necessarily feel like I'm the one who's going to be the cheerleader or the champion. Also, that idea you just said about fix it. When I hear fix it, I think, wouldn't life be great if there was a problem, you do this, and it gets fixed. Mm -hmm. But it's always so much more complex than that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think even anything like eating healthy is definitely a factor. And it keeps us healthy. So even if you do get cancer, you can have the energy to go through treatment. But it's never that one-to-one -one relationship that human beings seem to crave. Like we do. I, we just want a silver this, bullet. Mm. And I do this, then it'll be okay. And it's what we all want. So true. What's the secret path? Mm -hmm. Like, right. what's the way if yeah. I do this? Just tell me and I'll do it and everything will be fine. And that's kind of what I came to realize. Yeah, there may not be a secret path. Mm. <laughs> we just have to have our best foot forward and do what you can live with at the end of the day. You know, try to make sustainable choices that work for me and that work for the planet. But I can't believe anymore that it's the silver bullet. Do you think you become more comfortable with the chaos or living with that unknown that cancer brings to people's lives? A hundred percent. I mean, especially having had it come back. I feel like wellness and general health is obviously, that's where you want to, it's where we want to be. We all want to be sailing through life feeling like, yeah, I'm good. And part of feeling that well is to not be thinking about you know, the abyss or the, the dark side or even the chaos. I have a better perspective on everything when I'm going through a health struggle. So obviously you don't want to be going through health struggles and yet it does bring this sort of clarity as to what's important and what's a priority, a priority mm -hmm. and how to be in the moment and all the things that we strive to do when we're healthy. So it's sort of a funny thing. As soon as you start to feel better, you can take on more stuff and you also slip back into that thinking like, oh yeah, if I just do this and go to the gym and then I'll be fine. And I guess that's just the way we are, that we as human beings almost programmed to believe that if we do A plus B, we'll get C. Before we started this interview this morning, Dora, you were talking about how for people who are highly successful, such as yourself, that's gotten you places. Yes. You see a problem, you're motivated, you come up with a plan, you fix things. 
And so why wouldn't you think anything differently? And so sometimes we feel like people who have been more successful in their lives, they might find it even more challenging to face something like cancer where there is chaos, where you do feel out of control at times. I definitely felt that really strongly after my chemotherapy finished this time. And I was waiting to find out, was I going to have to have radiation again? I had it in 2009. And so there was some debate about whether it was too risky to do again. Anyhow, so I was in that waiting period. And and in the end, the decision was that I wasn't going to have it again. But so there was still this period that I suppose I'm only really just coming out of. What are we, three months or so after my chemo ended? I was frustrated and confused as to why I wasn't rallying. I thought, I'm a person who takes on the hard stuff and figures it out and gets back to a rally. I can handle it. And I kept wondering, why can't I rally? (laughs) That's the, the most messy and murky and chaotic, I think, that the whole trajectory is for me. Because as I said, the surgery is pretty straightforward. Okay, this is tough. Now we're doing this. Then you slowly get your mobility and now you're not feeling well. And you, oh, and now you get better. Chemotherapy. Okay, got it. Got it. You're going to be sick on these days and you're better. In the, and you kind of set your teeth and you put your head down and you know what's involved and you got your schedule of pills to take and everything. But then when the structure falls away from all of that and the expectation of, okay, I'm supposed to be a strong, capable, get back on the horse person. But it just, it was hard. And it was hard to accept that I I wasn't rallying. I couldn't bounce back. I didn't feel like seeing people. I didn't feel like talking to people. I talked to people and see people for a living. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like talking to people. I guess you were saying, you know, the idea of being somebody who do this, Fixes. check, 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 yes. to get tick off the to-do you list or to, whatever. Used to being accomplishing. Used to accomplishing things. Yes, and exactly. I couldn't accomplish my recovery hmm. the way I thought exactly I was supposed to. It's almost like there's an expectation that as soon as you finish treatment and you ring that bell, that that's it, that that's behind you. And then you're back to your usual self and you kind of realize, well, no, I'm I'm not quite there yet or whatever that usual self would be. If you're pregnant, especially if it's your first baby, the focus is so much on the delivery date Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're building and you're going through the nausea and the whatever aches and pains and the moans and groans and you're getting through it and you're getting through it. And then you have a baby and you ring the bell and everything's good. Except that that's when it gets insanely way harder than being pregnant. That's a really good analogy. And it's like, what's happening? What have I done? How do I do this? Why don't I feel the way I thought I was supposed to feel? And everyone in the movies is holding their sweet baby and all that messy stuff that comes the day after the baby he's born and for the next 20 years it's a little bit like that the ringing of the bell doesn't make everything okay it actually almost gets weirder after that Mm -hmm. in a way I call it the reckoning the reckoning the period that comes after the treatments and the structure Mm -hmm. and when your doctor says okay we're kind of done and you go what just happened And the routine is kind of behind you and you're not seeing the people that you usually see who are part of your healthcare team. And that bit of a safety net is almost removed Mm -hmm. and what that's like. Absolutely. The great thing about, you know, you guys in the healthcare world, you do such a good job of finding the answers and coming up with the treatments and guiding us through them. And we just go, okay, go to this day on this time, I'll go to this place and I'll take this pill and blah, blah, blah. And you follow the breadcrumb trail or whatever Mm -hmm. to lead to the end of your treatments. But when that falls away, that structure, it almost defines what it means to have cancer or be going through treatment. But then the 
the next step is the reckoning. Yeah. The, the trying to make sense of it all on your own without the structure of that visits to regular appointments and taking this medicine or doing this treatment or what have you. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of patients struggle with that. You're bringing up such a good point that we have to pay attention to because mm-hmm. we can help people normalize that. When this is all done, it's not like a week later, you mm-hmm. are your quotes old self you're going to still be coming to that new rhythm of your life. And we don't want you to feel you're doing something wrong that you don't feel a certain way. In fact, it's impossible to know how you're going to feel. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. We're here to help you with that. We need to normalize that because I always worry people think, am I doing something wrong? I'm not rallying. Like you said, like, Mm -hmm. I'm that girl that does this and it's not happening. What's wrong with me? My oncologist, Dr. Gandhi, was very helpful one day just explaining. I had just started a aromatase inhibitor drug after a certain period after chemotherapy as per her instructions. And she said, you know, this is what you can expect, these side effects and whatnot. And I also mentioned, yeah, I don't understand. I want to be in the bath watching Netflix. Like, what is going on? She said, I hear this all the time. She did say, you know, I hear it especially from high achieving people. I don't feel like that. I assume everybody's kind of a little bit like, what? And not knowing how to be the next day or or weeks. And it was so helpful for me to hear her say, everybody feels like this. Mm. All the women I deal with go through the same thing. And I just, oh, good. I'm not Not such a disaster here that I'm not Mm. pulling it together. And that was really comforting. Jill, I was wondering if you had some advice for me. So as a physician working in palliative care, I oftentimes ask very personal questions because I want to get to know my patients as a person. So tell me about your family. Tell me about your spiritual beliefs. But I've had a few encounters now where I know who the patient is. They have a public persona. They're in the public eye. And I feel almost like it's an invasion of their privacy. And I almost shift to the other end of the pendulum where I ask less questions because Mm. I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. I don't know if you have any advice for me in those kinds of situations. And perhaps you do this anyway, like just calling it like it is, like you're already in the public eye how comfortable are you with me going more personal with you? And mm. and I also think coming at it a couple of different times in different ways, like maybe someday somebody might feel, you know, grouchy about it. I know everyone's different, but I think that people want to be understood mm-hmm. as a general rule. Primarily, we kind of want to be heard and understood. And maybe on day A, that person's not open to giving that, but maybe revisiting it a different way with an acknowledgement like, how are you feeling about it today? You know, maybe on day B, they're a little more ready to just be open. Mm -hmm. Or maybe just sort of leaving an open invitation. Like maybe you don't feel like talking about this today, but I just want you to know that I'm here. here If you ever want to talk about these things, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's a great approach. As we wrap up our podcast, we ask all our guests to finish the following statement. And the statement is, if only they knew. So what do you wish your healthcare providers or healthcare providers in general knew that would help provide better care? And that could be an experience that you've had or kind of general advice around, if only they knew this. If only Mm -hmm. the doctors knew. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, two things, I guess. How much we look forward to those appointments, weirdly, Mm. because it's a connection I guess it's kind of making me emotional, but, you know, I think of my oncologist as people reaching out a hand to me 
and holding my hand and getting me to the other side. So every time I get to go to an appointment, it's a reaching out of the hand, like, we're here, wow. come on, let's take another step. So I guess I would say if only they knew how much mm. I look forward to that connection, because mm-hmm. otherwise we're kind of on our own navigating this. So that, and then the other thing is that what we already spoke about, which is if only they knew how confusing it is and mystifying it is mm-hmm. when that hand lets go and mm-hmm. you say, you're done, your treatment's over, woohoo, you're good, go back to your life. And then that's where all the stuff we talked about earlier comes in, like the what kind of support is there for me now? Because there needs to be another hand. I'm sure lots of places through Wellspring and everything, there's an amazing other hand of mm-hmm. support that comes for the reckoning. But yeah, that would be the other thing. That's so powerful. Yeah, yeah thank you powerful. so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for joining us, oh, Jill. Thanks for doing this, you guys. What a good podcast. We are going to take a short break. You're listening to About Empathy. About Empathy is recorded at Wellspring. Wellspring Cancer Support Foundation is a network of community-based support centers offering professionally-led programs and services to help people living with cancer and those who care for them. No referrals necessary, and Wellspring programs are offered free of charge. Visit wellspring.ca. About Empathy is made possible through an education, research, and scholarship grant from Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre and a medical humanities grant that is jointly funded by Postgrad Medical Education at University of Toronto, as well as the Department of Family and Community Medicine at Sunnybrook. Welcome back to About Empathy. So it was great to have Jill as our guest. I think so many interesting points that she made. Dory and Irene, anything that stood out for you in terms of lessons learned? There were so many. I know. I loved how she called it the reckoning. She's so articulate and she put into words what so many patients talk about. It's always hard, of course, when you're diagnosed and you're going through treatment, but there is an order to treatment that I think helps to take away some of the chaos of cancer. And it's predictable. Loss of control. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's predictable. And then when it's over and everybody's so happy for you, but it's kind of like an abyss sometimes. It's like, but what now? Mm-hmm. And I think that can be very frightening for people. And she just was able to articulate that so well. And I think that will connect with people. It helps us as physicians to understand that because we're so excited for people when they've successfully come through treatment and you can go back to your life now and to understand that they are developing that new flow in their life, a new rhythm and help them with expectations like, well, why don't I feel the same? Oh, I thought it would feel this way. For a lot of patients, it's just different than they expected. And to help them manage those expectations and help them normalize that process. I loved her analogy of pregnancy Mm -hmm. and the postpartum period because, you know, anyone who has gone through pregnancy, labor, and the newborn period knows when you're pregnant, you know, you're going to go see your doctor every month, every two weeks. Yep. There's a lot of hand-holding. The classes you take about how to get yourself through labor, that's like 90, 95% of it. And then there's 10% that kind of talks a little bit about what happens after the baby's born. But when you actually go through it, it's like, oh my yes. gosh, like... <laughs> After the baby's born is really when everything hits the fan and you need all the extra help and support, but you're not seeing your doctor every two weeks anymore. And I loved it because so many people can relate to that. Yeah, I like the imagery that she gave, that connection. 
and the hand That's right. holding, right? So that during the treatment period, the visit with the doctor is a connection and how important that is and feeling like that's the hand that will take you through to the other side, but feeling like after treatment is over, like where's, where's that the hand? hand? Yes. So I really like that imagery and I think that's a good reminder for all of us as professionals that that safety net, that support, whatever you want to call it, should still be there after treatment. It actually made me think about the fact that, you know, sometimes I had to cancel my clinic if I was sick or if I had to be away and some of my patients would be upset even though they were doing very well. Mm -hmm. And I would think, oh, well, I'm just saving you a trip to the hospital. Like, isn't Mm -hmm. that a good thing? But really, they look at this visit again as a Mm hand-holding sort of supportive session and they look forward to it so much. And I kind of think back now and I feel badly about my perception that I was saving them the hassle when really they were getting so much out of the visits. Yeah, I think what she said changes our perspective on that, yes. on that feeling like, oh, well, you're you're doing fine. It's great. You don't have to come back here anymore. And how that can feel yeah. almost like an abandonment potentially mm-hmm. for people. So it, it makes me look at it differently. Yes. She really normalized that feeling that after treatment, what's your old self? Yes. Can you get back to your old self? What's that new normal? Yep. Like you mm-hmm. were saying, Dory, what will that be like? And just helping people understand that that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. That takes a lot of time. It's kind of like grief in that there has been a loss. There was a loss of yourself, whether it's a death or any loss. The period after, you can't predict how long it'll take to find your new equilibrium. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like finding your balance again. And it takes time. And it's so helpful for us as uh, healthcare providers to remember that and to just help people know that. And again, it's that idea of making it normal. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks to Jill for, yes. for all her insights. Yeah, it was, it was really, her. really great having her. Thanks for listening to this episode of About Empathy. We hope the story that you heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate, authentic, and empathic interactions. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Subscribe to About Empathy to get a new episode each week. When you subscribe and rate our podcast, it helps others to find us. Please share our podcast with your health professional colleagues and friends. Our website is aboutempathy.com. You can find the notes from today's episode and information about our show on the site. About Empathy is Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dori Sakaracha, and Irene Ying. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner with additional production and writing by Laura Takahashi. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner. 